is good. And I'm sure that most of the people there uh, would have listened to the words being read, maybe a thousand, two thousand people who gather for the, the dawn service. But those people, I'm not sure that they paid much attention to the words that were read. Because the words of Jesus, they are hard hitting. And as I stood there, I asked myself, do they really understand what is, what is read? Do they even care what is read? Sadly, neither I nor any of my colleagues was asked to expound on this, this marvellous text as the main message was always delivered by a high school student and never related to the text or, or any text of scripture. So I will attempt to do a, this text a little more justice and hopefully you do care. It's a different crowd. Hopefully you're here because you do care what the Bible says. Now last week we closed chapter 14 in John with the words of Jesus to his disciples, come now, let us leave. It is therefore a, a transition verse, a transition statement. And very likely that Jesus and the disciples from that point, they left the upper room, but so much has happened in that place, and, and walked. And, this, and as they left, they started walking to, through the vineyards that grew around Jerusalem at this time. Eventually, they will walk their way down the Kidron Valley, walk their way around and across to the Garden of Gethsemane on the edge of the Mount of Olives, which is further up. Now, being Passover season, the other thing is that if you follow what happens at Passover, that there is a full moon. And so everything would have been pretty bright. There would have been a lot of stuff that you'd be able to see. And as they passed through the vineyards, then Jesus would have used the opportunity to teach an important lesson as he walked past. Now, unlike uh, many of Jesus' parables, he doesn't leave the interpretation to us. He tells, he tells us, in fact, every detail almost of, of this. He tells us who the main characters are. He tells us what the application is about. So, the first thing is we're going to go through the, the main characters in this, um, in this metaphor. In fact, it's a little bit more than, than a metaphor, obviously. But uh, I think they call it an allegory when it's an extended, an extended metaphor that draws a lesson. So the first thing is we're going to say is that the sun is divine. That should be pretty clear. Verse 1a, I am the true vine. Now the vine is the source of life for the branches. It provides the sap and nutrients for which the grapes are produced. It should be obvious that without the vine no fruit would ever 
result. The vine is connected to the ground. The vine can be uh, a young vine. It can be an old vine. I'm told that uh, one of the oldest vines is actually in England, which is from around about a thousand years ago or something, and it's still producing, producing grapes. And vines develop a, a certain reputation according to the type of, of, of grapes that they are and, and uh, by how productive they are. Branches are utterly dependent on the vine. And here Jesus gives us another I am statement. In the Greek, it's ego aimi. It's, it's a declaration that we find throughout the Gospel of John. I am the true vine. Unlike us now, separated by a couple of thousand years, his disciples would have been very familiar with the metaphor that he was using. Because in the Old Testament, there are, there are many passages that actually refer to the nation of Israel as being God's vineyard. So the, the, the vine became symbolic of an entire nation, but unfortunately with negative results. And uh, there's a couple of passages, there are many passages, but let's just pick up on a couple. Hosea chapter 10 verse 1, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. And then from another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. It was a good vine. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine, says the Lord. Now Jesus here is not saying that Israel was a false vine. It's just that it never lived up to its potential. It did not produce the fruit, the grapes that were expected from it. Jesus, however, is the true vine of which the nation was a symbol, a picture of. And it is he who will produce through his sacrifice, through his work, at last, the type of fruit that God was looking for from the vine, from the very beginning. Therefore, God had, had to send his son into the world as the true vine. What Israel failed to do, the son would ultimately accomplish. That is the son. So the son is the vine. The father is the gardener. The second part of verse 1, and my father is the gardener. Pretty obvious. So rather, you know how in some of the parables um, the father is the owner, the landlord, the owner of the vineyard. Jesus here declares his father as the worker. And the, and, and the Greek word yorgos, from which we get the name George, George, you are an earth worker. That is your name. Okay, so hopefully you like to work the earth. The father's work is to personally take care of the vineyard. 
He doesn't send somebody else to do it. He does it himself. His task is to make sure that it is not just something that provides a nice shade in summer because that's when the the shades of the, the vines are at the best or something that looks pretty to take photos around the place because, oh, look how beautiful that is. Its main purpose is to give fruit. And of course, giving fruit just doesn't uh, happen automatically, but plenty of work in the background will need to be done for it to continue to produce. There is an art. There is a whole, it's called viticulture. The uh, work of maintaining a vineyard. What about us? Well, we are the branches, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus clearly identifies the disciples and obviously us following the disciples as believers, as, as the branches of the vine. Notice that the, the vine itself does not bear the fruit. It delegates the fruit bearing to the branches. The vine gets the credit for the fruit but its fruit is from the branches that bear the fruit. Furthermore, there are two kinds of branches that are attached to the vine. Fruitless branches and fruitful branches. And the application, I think, will become very clear. There are two kinds of followers. The difference between them is whether they produce fruit or not. So this is where we come to the work of the Father. We're going to look at that in verse 2 and we're going to look at it in verse 6. So in verse 2 he says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 6, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. So the first part of the work of the Father is actually cutting off, cutting off. A lot of this work is mainly done during winter. What happens in winter is that the the sap that normally runs through the vine is, is pulled back and it goes back to to the roots. So if you actually cut the cut the, the branches, no no sap, no call it even bleeding, that, none of that happens. But as the heat starts to to happen, as it happens in August, and it starts to warm up and towards spring, you start if you prune it, then it's a little bit too late because then you, you're going to lose sap and fluid, and then and the, the vine continues to bleed. How do I know this? Because I've actually tried it. To learn the hard way. So the pruning happens mainly during winter, and the, the vine keepers cut off certain sucker shoots from the vines. 
They will grow leaves abundantly, these sucker shoots, but they will never produce fruit. If they they are allowed to remain, they will actually draw a lot of the sap, a lot of the, the juices from the vine to an unproductive branch. So these shoots um, need to be cut off. They need to be reduced so that the, the fruit-bearing branches actually give more. Now, whenever the Bible uses the language which it uses here, because what happens to all those branches that have been cut off? Eventually, as we, we saw some of the work happening at, uh, at Denham Court, you, you gather all the branches that have fallen and you've got to gather them in a place and eventually we would like to obviously burn them off because they just pile up, don't they? Exactly the same thing happens at a vineyard. You can't just have all these branches lying around. They have to be fired. Now, whenever the Bible uses the language of fire, it is classic judgment language. Recently, what happened in the upper room? Judas was a, he looked like a healthy branch, didn't he? Unfortunately, he wasn't. He did actually mighty works even. Jesus sent him. Remember how Jesus sent the disciples in pairs? They did miracles. They did all of that stuff. But he wasn't one of Jesus' healthy branches. But this time, the Father has already removed Judas. He was no longer there. The fruitless branch from the disciples is removed. Now you have 11 disciples who will be fruitful. And within the church there will appear often uh, people who appear to be genuine believers. But unfortunately, they will never become fruitful branches. And that is a sad part. It's a sad part of the church. It's been part of the history of the church. Now John in his, uh, in his first letter... This is John chapter uh, 1, John chapter 2, verse 19 says this. He says, he talk, he's talking about believers who appeared to be healthy branches, but they were anything but. And then they just moved on. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. We've all, if you've been a Christian for a while, you would have, perhaps even from your youth group days, you look back and as the years go by, the decades run past and you, you know of people that have, were a time when they, were, they looked like healthy Christians who were walking in the faith then you catch up with them years later and they're as far removed from the Christian faith as you can possibly imagine. Not wanting to have anything to do with God. In fact, many times even cursing the name of God. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad. But that is the reality. Now, unless it is clearly shown to us by God, It is not our work 
to start the selecting process between fruit-bearing Christians and to pluck, pluck them out and remove those who are not. This is best left to the Father. And like I said, this is, unless it's obviously a matter of church discipline and, and the like, this is the work that is left to the Father. And he will do the work. He will do this work. It has happened many times in the history of the church. Secondly, secondly, so, so, so no, the first part is, is cutting off, which is serious enough, but then we come to the cutting back, which is the other aspect of the Father's work. Now, the word prunes is, is, is chosen because it is not about cutting off, but cutting back. This is what vine dressers do. They not only go through a vineyard and cut off shoots and throw them away, but they cut back good shoots so that they will bear more fruit. Now, what's interesting here is that the word used for pruning can also be, is the same root as the, as the word for cleaning, for cleansers. So, uh, this this uh, statement here could be translated either every branch that does bear fruit he prunes and then he says you are already pruned by the word which I have spoken to you, verse 3. Or it could also be every branch that does bear fruit he cleanses, you have already been cleansed by the word which I have spoken to you. So how does this cleansing, this, this pruning happens? It happens by the word. By the word. And I think this is one of the reasons why people don't want to read the Bible because it's, oh, I can't do that. No, I just don't want to read it because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to read it. I'm going to be convicted. Then I'm going to have to change my behavior. I don't want to get pruned. So I better just leave it closed. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do, to constantly come to his word so the cleansing, the pruning continues. More about that in a minute. By any measure, pruning is a drastic, drastic process. I, there I am trying to cut some of the vines that this is in the, in the previous property, in the, 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 the previous manse in, in Kasula. And uh, there I am, you know, I hate reading instructions, so I'll just have a go at it myself. Um, this is what you do. And, and, I, and I struggle to, to make a decision. Should I cut this? Should I cut that? How is this going to be? Um, How is it going to work? And, I, and I, it's almost like I cry every time I've got to cut off a branch because I say, oh, no, there goes another one. Poor little branch. But... And, and, so, and I don't know who did the, the in, in, in the court, I don't know who, who did the pruning of the roses. Who, who? Yeah, so that was pretty savage. I mean, you just went out there and, 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 and I was like, oh my goodness, look what happened to the roses. But that's exactly what's going to happen. It, it's, it looks severe, doesn't it? 
But if you want it to produce beautiful flowers, that's exactly what has to happen. In a vineyard, it's a little bit more intensive because the pruning also, as you, as you go pruning away, you remove the cobwebs, you remove the dried leaves and the fungus that can sometimes collect in the vineyard, in the vine. And this is, the application is obviously that this is one of the hardest truths to accept about following Jesus. The Father will prune us. And sometimes, quite severely, he will prune us. Remember that his job is not to make us comfortable on earth, but to prepare us to live in his mansion, in his home, in heaven. So if anybody has been out there giving false advertising that uh, the Christian faith, that following Jesus is a life of health, ease, constant blessing and singing along, I'm walking on sunshine. If that is your idea of the Christian faith, um, I think you forget it, okay? That is false advertising. You're probably not interested in Joel Osteen's interpretation of this passage, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's not as bad as, as it... As, so I'm going to give him justice for that. But see if you can pick it up. This is what he says, and I quote, God will take things out of our life that are not productive, not moving us forward. He'll remove what's not good for us, end of quote. Has anybody picked up on the subtlety here? Sorry? Yeah, exactly. That's one of them. Yeah. When Jesus talks about pruning, it's, it's that the Father is committed to his glory. To his glory. And he will take away even things that we think are good and necessary. Most of us have had experience of sorrow, disappointment, failure, loss, grief, financial failure, weakness, health issues that have left us shocked and hurt, that even how could the Father allow this to happen. Yet here we are encouraged to accept it as the work of a loving father and does it so that we bear fruit. How far can God go with the pruning? Well, let's ask Job how far God can prune. No, 
It can actually mean the loss of your children, of your family. That's how far God can prune. I mean that. And are your children bad? No, it's obviously good. They're things that, that we love. Ask uh, Joni Erickson Tata how far God can prune. Quadriplegic. According, yeah. Ask the Apostle Paul how far God can prune. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. We were under, and he was doing ministry. He was going where God had sent him, right? In God's will. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Let this happen that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And notice in, in, your, in, your, in your story, in your Christian walk, you will notice that you've come across people who have been pruned and pruned and pruned and you sort of wonder and say, God, when is this going to stop? I feel sorry for the person. Please, give them a break. You're not the, you're not the gardener, are you? The Father is. We can only plead, we can only pray. Uh, William Carey, he did, for many, many years, was translating in India. And laborious work, translating into, what, five languages, the, the scriptures, Years and years and years and years of work, of wonderful work of translating so that this gospel will go to the people of India. And then what happened? A fire destroyed all his translation work. This, remember, this is the time before there was cloud, there was backup, there was all that stuff, right? A good thing, and yet God allowed it to be destroyed so that it will start again. How would you have felt? There is good news here. There is good news, if you can appreciate it, that is. The very reason God prunes us is because we are already bearing fruit. He doesn't prune those who aren't his. And he does this because the short-term pain is more than worth the long-term gain. While we make might want just a, a closer walk with thee to be smooth and easy. The Father has other ideas. So we come back to that promise that it is because we are bearing fruit that we are being pruned. So when we come next to a brother and pray for a person who is really really having a tough. We should use words of Scripture to encourage each other and, 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 and be able to, to lift each other up because you're saying, brother, all I can say is you're being pruned. 
What else can I say? And, and, and the, the, the reason you're being pruned is because you're actually bearing fruit. What you're doing is, is God is, is, is showing himself through you. He's going to continue to do it. I don't know for how long, but whatever's going to bring him glory, he's going to continue to do. Now, what is our role? What is our role? Verse 4, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Firstly, then, our our role from what we see here is we need to be in Jesus. There are many people, obviously, who are in religion. Many people who are in church. There are many good, moral people but it doesn't mean that they are in Jesus. And many, I think, will be deceived in this matter. Matthew 7 tells us, gives us the warning. Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, we've done this, we've done that. And he says, away from me. And the only way to be in Jesus is via the new birth. And this occurs when a person becomes convicted of their sins and in repentance they come to him. They receive the finished work of Jesus on Calvary as the payment for their sins. And from that point on, they confess him to be their Lord and Saviour, Saviour of their souls. This is the biblical way of salvation. You need to be in Jesus. Make sure of that. If you're here this morning and you're still not sure, come back to this point. Are you in Jesus or not? Secondly, once you're in Jesus, you need to remain in Jesus. Remain in him. The other word that is used in other versions is abide, which is the old-fashioned word. Abide. It is, it is clearly here this twofold process that our Lord asks here. And there's an active uh, and a passive. Remain in me is the active Voice. This is something that we are expected to do. Another way that we can use, we, that the Bible uses this, is follow me. That's what it means to, to remain in Him. That's your job. That's what you've got to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remain in Him. And then there is a passive. As I also remain in you. Remain in me and as I also remain in in you. We looked at that through the Holy Spirit. The implication here is let me abide. Let me remain in you. Don't push me out. Don't push me away. And it is not something that we can initiate, but this is the work of our Heavenly Father. When God takes residence in our hearts, we look at that. We will make a home in him. The point is not that the branches will do better if we are 
attached to the vine. The point is that the branches can do nothing unless they're attached to the vine. They will simply wither and they will die. So what are the results? Verses 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The first thing here is bearing fruit, obviously, and we've been saying that all along. If we're his, we will bear fruit. We do not abide because we bear fruit. Rather, our abiding is the cause of our fruit bearing. And what is that fruit? What is that fruit? And now our, our mind will probably go straight into production mode straight away and define success and, and immeasurable goals, right? That you have attained this, you've reached that and, and suddenly you're, you're bearing fruit. There is a sign here of your fruit bearing. Look at it. But God has other other means. It's clear that the fruit which Jesus is referring to here is Christ-likeness, his character reproduced in us. The Apostle Paul, in fact, told us exactly what the fruit looks like in Galatians, which we read earlier on. It says, um, what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you ever put that on a, on a flowchart? See how it works? Whether you've achieved your goals? Even on your New Year's resolution at the beginning of the year, that would be pretty brave, wouldn't it? You come to the end of the year and say, wow, that doesn't look good, does it? Wow. To follow the metaphor of the uh, of the vine, here we have nine big, juicy grapes gathered in one cluster. Right? It's just this succulent that says, "Oh, that's what I want." And the longer we abide with Jesus. The longer we look to him, no matter how long it takes, no matter how many times we've been pruned, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. He will do it. He will do it by whatever means, whatever ways, for his glory. The other benefit, obviously, of remaining in him is answered prayer. This is, a, this is a, another wonderful promise here from verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And, and, and again, the Lord links this directly to his words. Now here the, the word is not the word logos at the beginning of John, but the word rima, which means literally his declarations, his words, his, his promises. Prayers and promise linked Together, prayer is not a way of getting God to do what you want him to do. It's like the genie rubbing the 
the bottle or the lamp. Rather, it is asking him, pleading him to do whatever he has promised to do according to his word, according to that which will bring him glory. Do we want answered prayer? Yes, desperately. But do we want his name to be glorified? Yes, even more so. Now, some of us might be going through a, an extensive period of pruning. Um, on one hand, humanly, fleshly speaking, I would say, I feel sorry for you. Um, on the other hand, I could say, may God give you strength as he continues to cut back. I don't know how long it's going to go, but uh, you must be blessed in the fact that he's going to bring out even more marvellous fruit from this whole process. That has to be encouraging, right? You have to see that as an end result. In conclusion, fruit is the result of the life of the vine flowing through the branches. Like I said, we often view fruitfulness in terms of increased activity, doing this, doing that, getting involved in this, getting involved with that, and that's acts of service are good and necessary for the church. We need to keep the wheels turning. This church, apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless we use his gifts, his talents in us, which is the way he's designed the church, the church will not be here. The church is us. But for Jesus... It has to start deeper than that, deeper than, than our service, than our contributions to his kingdom. Being fruitful is allowing his life to flow through you and me. Not a matter of what I accomplish, it's the result of me being in close fellowship with him. So whenever you wonder if you're being a fruitful Christian, ask yourself, Am I like Jesus? Don't compare yourself to the pastor, to Duncan, to anybody else. As bad or wonderful examples as we might be, the standard is actually much higher than that. It's actually Jesus. And, and you have to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Is his life flowing through you in the ordinary activities of everyday life, every day? Do the, do the grapes of my life point others to the vine? And saying, this is where, this is the life-giving vine right here. Come, let's be part of it. Because this is God's work. May all glory go to him. Amen.